You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Welcome! How's everybody doing? Good, good. Welcome to Fort Myers Community Church. My name is Bill Vecchio. I'm one of the elders and pastors here. I'm excited to dive in. Um, one of the most fun things that uh, gets to happen to me in my week is that I get to sit with the Word of God and I get to read it and I get to uh, prepare to teach it. And there, that comes with a weight. It comes with a weight because the Bible says that those who teach the Word will be held to a higher, a stricter standard, a stricter, uh, a higher level of, of judgment upon us when we're teaching the Word because we can teach it and not actually allow it to transform our lives. And so Tim, myself, the people that come up on the stage, we take that very seriously. Take it serious to go before the Word of God and to teach it. And sometimes you get across a passage of Scripture and it just begins to mold and shape your heart and your mind. And that was this passage for me this week. So I'm pumped to share what the Lord pressed in on my heart because really we can go throughout our week and we can open up the Word and it could just be information, um, but God has meant for the Bible to transform us, to change us from the inside out. And that's what God did for me this week. And I want to share that with you. So I have an analogy. And I know I've got a lot of type A personalities, and I'm already causing you anxiety because usually I do these things at the end. And so I'm going to fill you in a little bit so that the whole time you're not like, what is that? So here's, here's what this is. Right here uh, is some uh, nasty, dirty water. Uh, huh? I'm on again. All right. So. the sound people because they're awesome so all right how's that we'll try one more time don't move all right so one's from the Kaluzahatchee uh, and the other one is from Tim's lake behind his house <laughs> so I was like I need you to get me some water so um, we hear all these sorts of things in our uh, community about the nasty water of the Kaluzahatchee so uh, and this is a filter this is a camping filter um, and this is purified water here so um, God created us. Um, he created man pure. He created us perfect. He created us holy, without sin. And then we chose to disobey God by choosing things of this world over God, our Creator. And what that did is, is it contaminated us, made us impure. But God. I'm going to leave you there. Let's open up the Bible. Philippians 4. If you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles along the aisles. So we get to talk about the but God being rich in mercy, giving us Jesus to purify us from all the contamination that the world throws at us. So let me read this to us. And what we're going to see in this passage is Paul is laying out a, a filter, if you will, of what it looks like to experience and understand and know the peace of God. And so Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
Practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm so grateful, God, that we get to open up this word together, that you have allowed us to hear your voice through these pages. So God, I pray that, that these things would transform our hearts and our minds for your glory, for your name. We lift this all up to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been in this series about joy, and we're going through this series about joy, and we're talking about what does it look like to experience the joy that God has for us in him. And, and we're coming to this passage, and, and Paul starts out with, finally. Now, Paul was not a very good man, but in some ways, he actually was a great man. And so he started out being a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. He held to the first five books of the Bible um, to the T. Like he, he listened all these things about all the purification rites and ceremonies and all the things. He followed those things. He did them all. But still, what he realized was that there was still contamination in him even though he was able to follow the law because he was still imperfect. And then Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and transforms and changes his life. He reveals himself to Paul. He says, now I've called you to come help build my kingdom. And so Paul now is sitting in prison and he's penning words to a church that he helped start in Philippi. And, and he starts off in where we're coming in here with the word finally. And we have to understand that this word finally is like he's saying, and so. So this comes into, we're coming in the middle of like a book and you don't want to just kind of pull this out of context. You want to read it in light of what the book is saying. And so the entire context of the letter that Paul's writing is that God desires his children to experience the fullness of joy in him. That's why he sent Jesus. So he's saying, so now, since you have been saved, since you've placed your faith and your hope and your belief and your trust in Jesus, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, he's like, now that you've believed me for your salvation, now trust me for your satisfaction, for your peace, for your hope, for your life. We, we, we so quickly can say, yes, I believe that God is my Lord and Savior, but then worry when things start to unravel in the world. We, we believe him to save us from our sins and our contamination from sin so that we get this get-out-of-hell-free card, but then not fully trust him with every single aspect of our life. Parents, are you a little freaked out about raising your kids in our culture and our world? But we have to remember that if God is powerful enough to save us from our sin and save us from our shame and save us, from, save us from the separation that we experience with him, isn't he powerful enough to protect our kids? Powerful enough to, to uh, create our kids for such a time as this? I mean, it was he that formed them in their mother's womb. And so what he, he's doing in this passage, he's saying, so because I've said all these things, because I want you to experience the fullness of joy in me, Think upon these things. Now, this is way more than just information. This is way more than just like put them in your mind, noodle them around for a bit, and then just kind of let them go out. But this is actually uh, the process here that Paul's trying to get at is to, to hear it and then to like deeply process and ponder on these things and then allow these things to flow out of you in belief. So it's a deep word that he's using here. Think upon these things. And then he gives us these filters of peace. I think that because we don't 
utilize the word of God the way it's intended to utilize. We live in such an anxious culture. <laughs> That's why we experience so much anxiety because we fail to do what this passage is saying, what Paul is encouraging us to do here. And so he gives us this list of, I, I dare to say, virtues. Because we believe in grace alone. But, but there's a piece here, an aspect here, where God is saying, hey, there's this filter that I'm going to put in place. Like this filter, this is a four-part filter. This is kind of a six-part filter that he's putting in place here. He's saying, flow your thoughts. Everything that's going on inside your mind, I don't know about you, but my mind is crazy. There is so much junk that's flowing on inside this thing at all times. And he's saying, take all that stuff, all the sediment, all the garbage, filter it through these things. I love what John Piper says. He says, these categories of assessment. And what these categories of assessment do is they lead us to experience the peace that God has for us. And so Paul most likely formed his knowledge of these things and even penned these things from his knowledge of the Septuagint, which is the translation of the Greek um, that went from Hebrew to Greek. Um, and so he's, he's reading these things, he knows these things, these things he's learned from a young age. And he starts writing them in light of the beauty of the gospel, which is Jesus alone and our faith in Jesus alone. And he says this, Think about these things, whatever is true. Now, contrast that. Think about what is true, not what is what? Untrue, right? So it's reality versus fantasy. I don't know uh, if you struggle with this, but anybody daydream? <laughs> right? Do you, ever, do you ever get into a fight with uh, a significant other, a friend, a parent, a sibling, and then all of a sudden your mind just starts to go off it, like that you leave, right? You get into an argument or a, a disagreement, then you go off, and then all of a sudden, like you, your mind just starts to wander. And then you start playing over the conversation, the next conversation you're gonna have with them. Oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. Just me. Okay. Um, right? Just I I, you know, and then then all of a sudden you're thinking about their responses and how they're gonna respond. Then you start thinking about what they're thinking about, right? Then you start thinking about what they're telling other people. Right? And then all of a sudden, your mind is just boggled down with all of this fantasy. That's not reality, but it's all of a sudden become your reality because you've allowed it to become your reality. And Paul's saying, filter those things through what is true. Stop having these head conversations. See, the Bible says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He desires to distort truth. Think back to the garden. Adam and Eve are enjoying the beauty of all that God has to offer him, offer them. And he comes to Eve and says, did God really say you couldn't enjoy anything in the garden that he made? Just starts to distort the truth, little by little. Makes us question, what did God say? How did he say that? What really happened? He is a master at getting inside your mind. So Paul's saying, God has saved you. He has redeemed you. So when the devil begins to put these thoughts in your minds that are untrue, filter them through what you know is true. You ever feel, you ever feel unworthy? Maybe unworthy of people's love. Maybe unworthy of uh, affection from people. Unworthy of forgiveness. What does the Bible say? The Bible says you are worthy. You are chosen. You are redeemed. You are loved. You have been adopted 
brought into the family of God by a loving, gracious Father who will always give you mercy and grace in your time of need. So filter all of the junk through what is true, not what is untrue. Then he goes on. And I love that he, because I think the true untrue thing, I think we do a fairly decent job of that once we like actually try. Like we know what's true, we know what's untrue, we know what we're fabricating, what we're not, most of us at least. I'm going to speak for all of us. Um, but, but then he starts to break it down even further. It's not just this true and untrue category. But then he says, what is honorable versus what is dishonorable? Dwelling on things that are shameful, corrupt, dishonorable. I mean, I really do believe this wage is war on Netflix, right? Because we could so quickly fill our brains with all of this stuff. And, and, and we're hearing these words and we're seeing these images and, and they're just distorting and corrupting our minds and we're just letting it happen. He's saying filter these things through what is honorable versus what is dishonorable. Pornography. Distorting the true of, truth of what God has for man and woman to experience in beauty, in marriage. He created it. He said be fruitful and multiply. Told us to enjoy it. But... We've distorted it and allowed the devil to twist it and, and defile it. So think about the things that are honorable. And then he goes to just versus things that are unjust. And here's what we have to understand, that God is a God of justice. He will not tolerate injustice. He will not tolerate injustice. But I want to caution us here because God's view of injustice and our view of injustice are very, very different. This is why when he came in human form and started building relationships with people, he built relationships with sinners and not the religious leaders. With those that were poor and broken and hurting and lonely and isolated, he drew them near and he brought them close. And that's why the Pharisees ran with their fingers in their ears, running away, being like, blasphemy. Because he was sharing such beautiful truths. What did he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That's not the message our culture is telling us. It's saying everybody deserves health, wealth, and happiness. So we all need to get that. And if we all have that, then that's justice. That's not what the Bible says. He says, those that mourn, you're blessed. Those that are poor in spirit, you're blessed. Those that are being persecuted, you're blessed. See, he's just flipped up on its head everything that we know and believe in. He says, those that are rich, it's easier for them to fit through the eye of a needle than to enter into heaven. And yet we're all striving to get wealth. He's saying we're missing something. We're missing full-out surrender to him, knowing him, loving him, enjoying him. He hates injustice. He hates when people are being persecuted. He hates when people are being hurt. So I'm not saying that he doesn't hate that. And there will be justice for all of those things. We may not see that on this side of heaven. And so when we pray, what are we praying for? Praying for God to be just. That's why we filter things through just. Now, then he goes on to pure. 
Now, pure versus impure. Now, most people in our culture right now care about justice, but they don't care about purity. Now, think about these, these aren't like one and done filters. Like he's talking about all of these as one cohesive filter. And so he's, he's saying we, we, we want to filter purity. Um, when we filter things through purity, the things that we think are just versus unjust change. Um, just because it seems like, just because something in our culture seems just, or just because we believe that it's just, doesn't mean it's pure. And so a very hot topic, and I'm not going to get into to political things here, but abortion is a huge hot topic in our culture. And, and here's what I want to say about this, is we can say that it is just for a woman to choose what happens to her body, and that is true, but when we start to fill a bo- filter abortion through purity, and we start talking about the unborn child that is a real life that God has formed in its mother's womb, and we start talking about the murder of an unborn child that is voiceless, then the filter begins to change how we think and believe. And so what, what's going on here is in our culture, we're very one-sided. We're one-sided on this is good, but not this. Or this is good and not this. And Paul is trying to kind of bring us all together and say, listen, God's ways are different than our ways. God has a different purpose in mind. Now, if you're here this morning, and I want to be clear, if you're here and you've had an abortion, God loves you. He loves you with his whole heart. And there is restoration, because there's a lot of pain that comes in that. But what I'm saying here, so this this is an abortion topic. What I'm saying is, is when we begin to take what is just and then filter it through what is pure, what we believe begins to change and shift. And then he goes on to say what is lovely versus what is repulsive. The word lovely there means beautiful. Saying don't give yourself to something gross. Don't give yourself to something that's ugly. This is the difference between fornication and the beauty of coming together as husband and wife. He's saying what is lovely, what is beautiful versus what is repulsive and gross. And then he goes on, admirable versus what is offensive. So this begins to shift from what is objectively true to what people know is good. See, in our culture, culture, murder is still bad. Right? I don't think anybody across the board would ever say that murder is good. Right? So there is this innate thing inside of us that knows right and wrong, good and evil, bad and wrong. And, and so our culture would, would agree with the fact that serving others, helping those in needs, fighting for the oppressed, um, those are all beautiful. Those are all admirable. And so he's saying, take these things that you filtered this far, and this final filter is that, that these objective truths now coming into subjectivity in ourselves that we know really at the deepest part of our cores is actually good and admirable. And then he says, these are the things that should fill our mind. And then he goes and summarizes all of this with two kinds of broad thoughts. What is excellent? Objective. What is good? And then he says, what is praiseworthy? Subjective. So we take all these things. Here's, here's how this hit me this week. As my mind began to wander, as my mind began to go to all sorts of places with business deals that I had going on, with uh, people that I'm in relationship with, uh, just with things that I'm very insecure about in my own life, things that, uh, sins that I struggle with uh, in my heart and my mind, as those things began to flood my mind, I just started saying this verse. Think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is 
honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And as I began to recite those things, God's word, over the sins that are going on inside of my head, God began to use the filter of his glory and his spirit in my life to transform and change me. And you know what it brought me in those moments? Peace. And all of a, so much so that like halfway through the week I'm going, why haven't I done this before? You know, like I've read these things. I know these things. We actually had this on our, our uh, fridge for like, I don't know, six months at one point because we wanted our girls to learn this verse. But this week as I started putting this stuff into practice and that's where Paul shifts. When I started actually not only thinking about these things but actually allowing them to filter my thoughts and my mind, it really did start to transform the, the satisfaction and the joy in my heart and in my mind to where I stopped worrying about finances or where I'm going to school or what I'm doing with this relationship, but I actually began to sit into the trust and the peace of God. So he says, think about these things. These are, these are formed out of love, not legalism. So that the peace of God would guard our heart and our mind and so that the God of peace is with us and filling us and encouraging us. I mean, do you crave peace? Is that something that you like actually desire? Because I, mean, I think that that's a big question. Because if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I don't even want that, I mean, then this is kind of a moot point. But if you really do crave peace, God's saying, here it is. Here's what I have given you. See, Paul is writing this, and even when he was being flogged, he was able to fill his mind with these things, what is true and honorable and admirable and lovely. That's why he found joy and peace in situations where you and I, I mean, sitting in a prison cell writing this, I'd be like, oh, I'd be grumbling, I'd be, be throwing things. I'd be like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve this. How many times have you said that this week? I don't deserve this, right? All right, just me. I've said it like 50. Um, Right? So it's, it, that's what we do, though. And, and that's why he's, he's like, I could be flogged. I could be beaten up. Paul was beaten up at one point, dragged outside of the city and left for dead. He came to his senses, woke up, and instead of running away to find a place of safety, went back into the same city that beat him up and dragged him out. How in the world do you have the, the mind power and the will to actually do something like that? I guarantee you if I beat you up, I'm not going to hang out with those people again. It's because of these things. And he's discipling the church and saying, hey, listen, maybe you're struggling right now with something in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you're struggling with some life decisions. Maybe you're struggling with what's next. Maybe you're struggling with an upcoming trip. Maybe you're struggling with a relationship. He's saying, filter these things through my word whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And as you filter them through my word and my spirit, I will bring out the purities and I'll take out the impurities. And so then he says, let's put these things into action. Look at verse 9. It says, what you have heard, learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So he shifts now. So first he starts off with what we uh, are to think when we are ruled by the peace of God, then he shifts to what we are to do when we are ruled by the peace of God. Kind of like eating healthy. I think we all know kind of how to eat healthy and the things that are healthy to eat. 
Yet if we don't put that into practice, it's going to do jack, right? And so we're sitting here and he's, he's saying, this is my call to discipleship by example. What you have learned. Paul was a learner. Paul wasn't perfect. I think sometimes we read like Paul's letters and think that he was just like this perfect guy. He wasn't Jesus. He actually learned these things from Jesus. And so Paul was a learner. He received the good news of the gospel that it was faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. God appears to him, reveals that to him. Then he goes and he shares this good news with the apostles who lived life with Jesus for years. And they confirmed that what he was saying was true. All the things that God had revealed to him through Jesus was true to what he revealed to the disciples through living with Jesus. And then he goes out and he shares these things. So he's, he's a learner. And what he's received, like this word here, I love it. It's this valuable hand-me-down. It's this thing that passes down from generation to generation to generation. We're sitting here 2,000 years after all this stuff had taken place, reading these things, these valuable hand-me-downs. I mean, this isn't like a pair of socks that's handed down. This is something that's invaluable, handed down generation after generation to reveal to us what is good and true and right and will ultimately bring peace. And then he said, what you have heard and seen from me, this personal intimate relationship that Paul has with his church. And so this is what we're seeing. Our lives, yucky, gross. I'm calling one of you up here to drink this in a second, so be ready. That is nasty. Which one was that, Tim? I don't know which Bible that was. Oh. Oh, there's a lot of junk in that one. Um, my sin is way grosser than that. It really is. I mean, the things that we do and we give ourselves to and we think about that's just gross. And it only brings anxiety and hurt and pain and destruction into our lives. What the devil says is, keep doing these things. Look, it'll get better. I guarantee you, Scott, if I brought you up here and you drank that, you'd be out for about two weeks. But what Paul has done and what he's telling us is through the power of the Holy Spirit is he's saying, filter these things through the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you think upon these things, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is honorable, he says he will purify, take out all the toxins, not because of anything that you and I have done, but because of everything that God has done through Jesus Christ. When you receive him as your Lord and Savior, when you believe upon him, then you are made new. You are a new creation. The Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. Like this right here, pure, beautiful, blameless and righteous before the eyes of the Father. Yeah, we still struggle with sin, but our sin has already been covered by the blood of Jesus. So every single time God looks at you, he sees a daughter. He sees a son. There is Nothing bad you can ever do. Nothing bad you can ever do to separate you from the love of God if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the good news of the gospel, and I know you're wondering if I'm going to drink it. 
So I'd like to call up Tim. All right. Um, actually, it tastes great. Uh, we're going to do communion, and we're actually going to use this. So we're going to do it like the Catholics. I'm going to wipe it between. We're very COVID-friendly here. Man, our world is a dark place. Our world is screwed up. But we have a God who is more powerful and greater, more awesome, more beautiful than all these things. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we couldn't die. He rose from the dead to defeat death, hell, and the grave so that you and I, even though we don't deserve it, can be in relationship with God. That's what we believe. That's why when we sing songs, we sing songs to our Creator, our Lord, our Savior. If you're here today, you've never heard this, or you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I promise you that that is the best and biggest decision you will ever make in your entire life. To trust, surrender, and know Him. This isn't about religion. It's about a relationship. God didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And God wants us each to experience life in him. He gives us this filter as a way for us to experience that life, to experience that joy, to experience that delight, to experience that blessing. So the next time you begin to argue with your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or your kids, or your parents, or your siblings, or your coworkers, or your boss, or your crazy neighbor that you know, want you to cut your lawn like two inches shorter, it's leader of the HOA, whatever it is. Think about these things. Allow them to filter your thoughts. And then practice these things. Because it is ultimately what's going to bring peace for you and for everybody around you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, in a world where everything seems to be upside down, in a world that seems to think of things so opposite of all of this, God, I pray that we would trust you and you alone. That we would know that you are God and that we are not. That we would see ourselves the way you see us as people who have been redeemed, who are loved. And God, when we can't believe that of ourselves, God, I pray that you help us believe that. God, when we can't believe that we are accepted, God, I pray that you would, through the power of your Spirit, transform our hearts, transform our minds, God, for us that maybe have been walking for years and years and years with you, but have failed to put these things into practice, I, I pray, God, that, that now would be the start of us actually taking this serious, 
God, you are for our peace. You are for our joy. You are for our delight. And God, we exist in a lost and dying world that doesn't believe this. And so God, I pray that we would extend to the world around us grace and love and mercy. And that we would enjoy you in front of the world around us. And as we enjoy you, that those around us would want to know what the source of our peace and our hope and our joy is. To open up gospel opportunities to share about you and your love and your grace and your mercy. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything that you have done for your glory. God, I pray that you would help us think of these things. When our minds begin to go haywire, God, I pray that you would bring to mind these verses that Paul penned in a prison cell. To think upon these things, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, and know that you, God, are with us. We love you. It's in your name that we pray.